Hello, and welcome to Spectology, the science fiction book club podcast. I'm your host, Adrian. I'm Matt. And I'm B. Welcome, everyone. Hey. Hi. So, Spectology, what we normally do is read science fiction books and talk about them over the course of two episodes. Uh, this month, we're actually reading three different books, all sort of classics of science fiction in their own right. Uh, and this is our third and final pre-read, which is on Stars in My Pocket Like Grains of Sand by Samuel Bird. Delaney. Post-read. Post-read, exactly. Um, so we are talking about Stars in My Pocket Like Grains of Sand, kind of in-depth today. It will be... Uh, spoilers essentially from the get-go, if that's a concern for you, although I think we'll be talking about some book facts and some other stuff for a little bit before we get too in-depth into the book. Uh, also today, we have a guest, uh, B, who is someone who I've been reading B's blog on Interpretative since I think like 2011, maybe even earlier, maybe 2010, something like that. Uh, I've always really enjoyed it. Uh, I particularly enjoy the end of the year, like roundups that you do. Uh, and I know you also <laughs> do a bunch of like other stuff online. So if you want to like talk about some of that stuff right now and introduce yourself. Yeah. So I think the two big things right now, I have a Patreon, um, at patreon.com slash Ben Laden, um, for reasons. I have like a $5 tier where I write about sort of like reproductive labor and cooking with recipes involved um that's that's kind of my jam i guess uh and then i recently actually reviewed the newest yoon ha lee book over on strange horizons uh hex stories which is set in the same machineries of empire universe as his big trilogy uh and so if you want to go to strange horizons and read about that review i think i wrote a good one <laughs> it is good i will i will link to both of those things in the show notes kind of as always um yeah i think also like i'm a really big fan of the always be cooking like cooking posts i think i don't know if this has come up a lot on the podcast uh i cook like a lot like i i've kind of like a very like i used to be a professional chef i i really like cooking i did not know um, that that rules yeah yeah it's it, it's cool but i also like one of the things i particularly like is how like it's easy to kind of live in this foodie world and be like sort of like I like I'm very much a perfectionist about how the way I cook. I'm always trying to like tweak things to be perfect and seeing someone come at it from a very like different perspective than that with mm. with like sort of like both a beginner, but also someone who is like talented and like smart and like really good at thinking about things. It's like <laughs> it's a really fun thing to read. And really, I feel like it's given me kind of like a deep appreciation of some like, you know, both like simple and complex. Like you are doing like a sourdough start right now which is something that i've never attempted because i've always been kind of afraid of it even though i like you know ferment and like pickle hot sauce and do all this stuff so. yeah yeah it's it's it, it's been interesting because i like basically did not cook i'm like in my early 30s and i basically started cooking two years ago and like mm -hmm. only in the last year have i like started really thinking about what i'm doing and i was like what if i wrote a blog about that <laughs> um and had people pay me money for it um <laughs> Uh, so, I mean, that is a very good way to make sure you're on your shit. <laughs> Accountable to people. <laughs> this is very cool for me because I've heard Adrian talk about UB uh, for many years uh, <laughs> as a fan. So it's pretty it's pretty awesome to get to to uh, meet you. And uh, I've also enjoyed your writing, although I do not cook. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've I mean, I've also been listening to the podcast since I don't know, like. 
I think I started like four or five episodes in um, mm-hmm. and have been on it for, you know, on and off of it because podcast <laughs> rotation stuff. But yeah, yeah, y'all do a great job here. And um, you like convinced me to read Binti for my like my personal book club. And then my book club didn't actually read it, which was very <laughs> rude of them. But I got to read it, and I was very happy with it. <laughs> I'm glad that's, you liked that's it. That's awesome to hear. Yeah, I love that I'm, book. I'm, yeah. I, I, I feel like your approval of the podcast is something that like has made me very happy. So oh. <laughs> I'm very glad for that. Um, cool. So as I said, too, we're reading Stars in My Pocket Like Grains of Sand, which I have like miswritten like several times while like <laughs> tweeting about these books <laughs> over the past <laughs> couple of weeks um, by Samuel R. Delaney, who I whose name I think I have not misspelled, but I read somewhere on Wikipedia or something that he has one of the most misspelled names in science fiction to the point of like books of his has been have been published with his name misspelled on the front cover. Damn. <laughs> yes. I believe that's true. And misspelled in multiple different ways right. uh, by different people. Like it's <laughs> kind of weird. But I also have misspelled it before and I was tried tried to be careful in writing the notes that we're using. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've been I've been like really double checking. Cause for me, just like the E slots in before the Y just kind of naturally because I right. know several Delaney's with, with E's. So mm-hmm. but yeah, so um Matt, I know you did kind of the book facts. Do you want to go over those real quickly? Is this the sure, part where we totally. say book facts real quiet yes oh my god someone else did it oh, victory sweet sweet victory oh man you have no I'm idea really happy how happy right you now. just made matt that's just the best thing you're the best so i believe i yes. believe it is book yes facts. uh book facts um uh so uh stars in my pocket like grains of sand was published in 1984 by bantam um Originally, it was supposed to be, as is uh, written in the book, the first of a two-book diptych, but the planned sequel was never published and was never even finished. And likely, according to Samuel R. Delaney in interviews, recent interviews, likely never will be published. Um, The reason for that is, uh, although he wrote uh, more than 100 pages of the planned sequel, um, as we will no doubt discuss, uh, the stars in my pocket, like grains of sand, the book was inspired in large part by a relationship that Delaney was in at the time, which ended, uh, while he was in the middle of writing the sequel and that plus the advent of AIDS arriving, uh, on the scene in the early eighties in the gay community in New York and in other parts of America, um, really changed, uh, according to Delaney, really changed how he was thinking about it and kind of made it so that he felt like he didn't want to write the book he was going to write anymore. Hmm. It's also, it's worth pointing out. It's his last science fiction novel, essentially like he had a very long science fiction career. And after this is published more like literary fiction and porn and like romance and pornography and stuff. That's an interesting one actually, because he's gone back and forth on that. I think Um, he, he has occasionally referred to one of his recent books as science fiction. The, uh, Oh, I forget. Which one? And, and, spiders, and I think he kind right. of, yeah, the in the valley of the nest of spiders, I think, mm-hmm. or something. I forget the title exactly, but but it's a it's a novel about a, a couple in a long term partnership who like whose lives kind of start around now and they and extend far into the future. Um, you know, so in their natural lifespans, they live into the future, and so it has like some science fictional elements, but it's kind of you know it's a gray area and he's kind of lived in the gray area on that book and but but like in general you know his kind of 
right down the middle, obviously, spaceships type science fiction books more right. or less stop after this. Hmm. And uh, yeah, so a word about Samuel Argelini himself. He is one of the most famous and influential living writers of science fiction mm -hmm. uh, in America and arguably anywhere. He's incredibly highly decorated. He's won all kinds of awards. He's won four Nebulas, two Hugos. He's the Science Fiction Writers of America Grandmaster. He's won uh, big literary awards, um, including the Stonewall Book Award and another big one. I think it's called the Badner from uh, that's given out uh, for uh, gay literary scholarship. Um, he was a tenured professor at a bunch of different universities, including UMass Amherst and Temple. Um, you know, he's been a literary critic. He's an essayist. He's written autobiographical stuff. He's taught a lot of workshops. He's been incredibly all, you know, prolific and um, involved in a lot of different parts of the literary world and of the science fiction world and the genre world. And and as a result, he's had, you know, a big influence on all those different areas. Um, among other things, you know, people have he's he's the kind of uh, figure who people have put out, you know, commemorative anthologies, you know, on yeah. behalf of even though he's still alive, mm -hmm. you know. <laughs> yeah. Right. And it's worth stating that he like while this was written in the 80s, he was a contemporary of like Asimov and Clark and a lot of these other sort of like old grandmaster science fiction yeah. types and is still alive and still writing uh, and lives here in New York City, I believe. Or here here where I am. <laughs> yeah, he he was born in 1942 and um so he's he's uh what what does that make him 77 or something like that right now um so yeah he's he's kind of definitely getting out there but he's like he's he's crossed every you know major shift in the mm -hmm. like mainstream science fiction in America over the last like 60 years he published his first stuff in the 60s and he's still publishing so it's right <laughs> he he's kind of he's a he's i don't know i mean it sounds <sighs> I was going to say he's an institution, but that's like such a dumbass thing to say. He's like a really big deal. He's a big right. deal. Yeah. And I think for, for us, like part of the reason I wanted to read Delaney is like one, I've never actually like read a novel of his before, even though I've heard very good things about a lot of them. Uh, and two, he like for this kind of like classic science fiction read, he sits in this really interesting place where he like has both written golden age science fiction and like new wave science fiction and even like modern contemporary kind of fiction. So he sits across like, not like, like, you know, these things aren't genres. They're more like eras in science fiction history, but they have like kind of stylistic and like topical and thematic elements to them. Uh, and he has, you know, written like within these different things at the different times that that was what kind of like writing in science fiction looked like. Uh, so he he has a very like varied. Um, he's also written like experimental postmodern fiction. Like Dahlgren is up there with any of the postmodern novels in terms of of like these really hard, difficult, but also like really experimental and out there tomes. Um, yeah, and, and he's also. It bears mentioning he's written a uh, fantasy and erotica and mm -hmm. uh, you know memoir and like he's he's really crossed into a lot of different areas that people sometimes think of as being very different from each other but that like in his work even within one novel can kind of bleed together. Mm -hmm. um, so he, he can be hard to categorize. He he's often been described. I'll put it this way: as a gay black writer or a gay black science fiction writer. And you got to put quotes around that because it's like. You know, 
it's it's something that he interrogates a lot in his memoir writing and his essays uh, and even his novels. Um, mm-hmm. What exactly kind of writer he is? What what does it mean to be in these categories? What you know, he's he's written. He it's interesting because he himself has written queer theory and critical theory, and he's very well versed in like critical theory and like structuralism and post structuralism and all this kind of stuff. And so he like has a lot of thoughts about exactly the kind of you know deconstructing that we might want to like gesture at in this conversation so (laughs) yeah that's that's actually one of the things i was thinking not to like jump ahead a little bit but no do please one of the most interesting things i as i was like closing in on the end of this book was like i realized like this seems like a perfect this stars in my pocket seems like a perfect way to um sort of interrogate identity and there's almost Mm. no question of identity in the book like people just kind of are who they are and like the questions are more interpersonal than sort of um, interior uh, in a lot of ways. And I, I was like, huh, that seems like the, the perfect like theme here. And he's avoiding it. And that is like obviously a choice and not just like Delaney being like unaware that people might have identity <laughs> crisis or something like that. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it was like, yeah, I, it's been a minute since I read a piece of fiction was just like, wow, this glaring absence of a theme is like the coolest thing. <laughs> that's awesome (laughs) cool well i think that's a very good segue into sort of like you know kind of like mini couple minutes like how did you like the book sort of like mini review before we get into into talking about those themes in depth um you you want to kick it off yeah um so i read it in a kind of awkward way where i like read the first hundred pages and then i put it down for like Mm-hmm. a month and then picked it back <laughs> up and like got the same copy out of the library um, oh nice um, nice and so like i really the first the first bit of it is like kind of rough i feel like um hmm. not like in terms of writing but it's just in terms of as a reader um mm-hmm. and like i was like really into it but like not in a way where i wanted to like dive in and just read the whole book um mm. But then after sort of the transition to um, the the main narrator, I guess. Uh, right, Mark, Mark something. Mark, yeah. Um, it went it went down a lot smoother, I feel like. And it sort of, I don't know, I, I kind of fell in love with it without ever like, like, I don't know what I would say I love about it necessarily. I guess that's what we're going to figure out today. <laughs> oh, that's right. such an awesome... So can I ask you, do you have like a, did you have like preconceptions about Delaney before this? Had you read a bunch of his stuff or did you kind of go in not knowing anything and were just curious or what was Uh, your context? I read Babel 17 like a year ago and I remember very little about it. (laughs) Um, It's it's one of those things where I'm sure if someone were to be like, oh yeah, this thing happened, I'd be like, oh yes, that thing happened, of course. But if you Mm -hmm. were to ask me what happened in Babel 17, I would stare at you blankly for a few, few seconds and then be like uh <laughs> let me look it up <laughs> um yeah uh i've been like meaning to read delaney is is where i'm mostly coming from like for a decade at this point i've like been like next like next book i read is going to be sam sam delaney I'm really going to get into it and just <laughs> never have because you know whatever the bookstore i happen to go to doesn't have the book i want there or the library has like certain books that i'm like ah but i wanted to try dahlgren or like yeah so i have a a very little uh little background (laughs) 
<laughs> no, that's legit. Yeah. That don't feel bad. I mean, like, you know, everybody is going to come at this with whatever context they have, and it's completely legitimate to have whatever context you have, you know? Yeah. But yeah, um, overall, just like, I, I really want to read more Sam Delaney now. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Excellent. <laughs> what about y'all? I really liked it. I like Delaney. <laughs> <laughs> it's super weird but i liked it i like weird things mm-hmm. um i was trying to think about like what kind like i was trying to think about how i would describe this to somebody who hasn't read it who isn't familiar with delaney and one way and the, th- the problem is there's it's like kind of a lot of different books simultaneously yeah one kind of book that it is is it's a love story a sort of a we- really weird kind of love story <laughs> and there's a lot that could be said about that Another kind of book that it is, is that it's an allegory of like gay male culture in America before AIDS, especially in New York. Mm -hmm. Um, And I love that. I have a weird, I'm not a gay man, but I'm fascinated by like gay male culture in New York for whatever reason. I wrote uh, like a, a, a long term paper about the Well, more than one, but one in particular that I that I really uh, worked hard on about exactly this topic. And um, I I just wanted to say, like, I really highly recommend, there's a book called Gay New York by George Chauncey, um, who's a history professor. Uh, I forget, I think he might be at like Columbia or something. But anyway, this book is a history of being a gay man in New York. And it's like, not just like the 60s, 70s, 80s or something like that. It's like going as far back as the city of New York itself. And even further back, he's sort of like, oh, that's really cool. it's a totally fascinating book. He's an amazing historian and uh, highly, highly recommend this book if you're interested. It's a great primer on the history of, you know, like gender and sexuality generally. Um, and it's very non-jargony. So if you kind of don't want to deal with like theory and stuff and you just want to like learn some history facts, I just think it's an amazing book. It was like one of the one of my favorite things that I read in college, honestly. And so, like, I I was thinking about that when I was reading this book. Um, But there's the book is also so many other things. And I I just love how weird and strange it is. There's one thing that I will say about the book that's like less than like it's not like negative thing, but it's like a a lot of the book, I think, has to do with desire. And there's Mm -hmm. this weird there's this weird thing that happens when somebody else is telling you about something that they desire and you don't also desire it. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. And and like, I thought that was kind of an interesting thing that goes on sometimes. Like, you know, if, if you yourself are not, like one of the things that happens when I really like a love story is that I slightly like fall for a little, like one or more of the characters in the story. And I think that like didn't happen for me in this. Um, and so it was sort of like I was like enjoying it, but it was a little bit more clinical of an enjoyment than it might have been because for whatever reason, you know, not not for any sexual proclivity reason, I think, but rather just because I just didn't, I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't desire either of these characters, either of the main characters. And I, I kind of, and that, that was kind of a weird thing that I was sort of conscious of as I was going through it. But, but like that said, like, I really liked it. And there's a lot of interesting, complicated difficult things to talk about with this so mm-hmm. um so wait you so you said you have read a good amount of delaney um I'm, oh yeah not really i mean okay so oh, i've read okay. like only a couple other of his books i've read okay. uh nova um like a couple years ago i think um and i liked nova nova's interesting and, and cool and i also read when i was in high school i i read um 
I and Gomora. And at that time, I didn't know, like, I, I had no idea what it was. It was like <laughs> a totally, I just saw, it was a science fiction book that I saw in a bookstore and I bought it. And I had no clue what it was going to be. And it had a pretty big impact on me, um, actually. Mm. I loved it. And I I was really influenced by it in terms of, like, trying to, like, write my own science fiction that was kind of like that. Mm. And there's very few things that made me, like, want to write that way and that book was one of them <laughs> when i was younger okay i asked because um i was actually reading an interview completely unrelated to this and uh learned that uh delaney has a book called Times square red Times square blue which mm. i believe is about gay culture in new york city it is yeah um I'm, i was reading I was about curious. that one too yeah no neither i have not read, read it okay. I, I have read i actually have read a couple of his essays about his life mm -hmm. um but i haven't read anything from that one um, and, and like, yeah, that sounds like, I'm so glad you brought that up. That's like exactly like the kind of thing that George Chauncey wrote about too. So that's, mm -hmm. I think that's awesome. <laughs> I would, I would read that. Cool. Adrian, do you want to, do you want to review? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, so I will caveat this, like I should say it up front. I still have not finished this book. Like this last week has been kind of nuts for me for like personal reasons. I won't get too deep into on the internet. Uh, but I have finished two thirds of it. And so I will do the, you know, kind of like sophomore year discussion section and just bullshit my <laughs> way through this conversation. Um, and, uh, I will say I like, so I am loving the Like there's no hesitancy because I am disliking the book in any way. Right. Like I am absolutely like loving this book. It's actually the second time I've started reading it about like a year or two mm. ago, I picked it up and read the first I don't even know, maybe the first 50 pages or something. And it was one of those situations where like I was in the middle of three books. Like I put a couple of them down, meaning to like pick it up again and just kind of like never got around to it. Um, mm -hmm. And I did find reading it this time that I be almost like the opposite of you, like the, the, the prologue, which is like the first hundred pages. It's definitely yeah. the <laughs> longest prologue I've ever read. <laughs> um, I was just, utterly in love with it like i was in love mm. with the like weird world the kind of like very like imperfect and almost like like the kind of like weird bad social structures in the world uh the like rat corga the main character of that section is just like he was so engrossing to me like living in his head and like his head as it goes through all this stuff while mm -hmm. he still yeah. stays himself uh, I found that really, um, I don't know. I found it really like, uh, moving, I guess almost. Um, and also like, there's this sort of like, it'll, it'll be kind of like very dry and then it will be like an adventure story for like 30 pages. Then it'll be very dry, you know, and it's like, I really enjoyed that. I think the, the, you know, as it switches tone and Mark becomes the main character, it becomes a little bit more of almost like an anthropological science fiction novel. Mm -hmm. um, like I yeah. keep thinking of Karen Lord while, while reading it, um, you know, or, or like uh, uh, Ursula K. Le Guin, these kind yeah. of novels that are really about like culture as much as any like story or people in the culture. And mm -hmm. uh, I like that. I think it's fun, but it, it's sort of like that first section was just so like wholly engrossing to me. Um, but yeah, I find the like the romance aspect of it really um 
kind of hard to read for some like personal reasons that again get to like my uh. own like neuroses not the book itself uh but uh, that's also like hard in kind of like a good way it feels like a workout almost um mm. like like this idea of like rat corga who is like someone who like i can feel just like no sexual desire for and a lot of that has to do with like these physical things about him he's very like pockmarked he has these like chewed nails and all this kind of stuff this idea that this like person has someone who is like perfectly loves them for exactly what they are and not in spite of but like because right. of those things yeah. and the things they find sexually attractive is like really intense to read mm-hmm. um yeah and and really sort of like beautiful like 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 i kind of agree matt that i'm not like in love with either character and i kind of have a little bit of that removed but i still find it like this incredibly like touching and like oh, at times almost yeah. like overwhelming text to read yeah. for that reason um yeah it's so funny because normally like i don't enjoy sex in books and science fiction in particular mm-hmm. and like, <laughs> it's usually yeah, very I bad not, it's usually very <laughs> bad but i do not feel that way about this at all like the oh, sex yeah. is is not necessarily like sexy in any way but is like very good and powerful uh it's it's really cool so i'm like stoked to be reading it i mean i'll be finishing it later today after we record (laughs) as embarrassing as that is and um yeah i'm really stoked to like hear some thoughts about it i do uh this is also the first samuel delaney i've read so i haven't read anything else by him um although i've read like i think a couple i've read some like interviews with him and some like stuff about him and whatnot that we can get into uh the one thing i did actually want to do before we go any further and get into the themes and stuff is just do like content warnings yeah yep. i was gonna say I we forgot a couple that. yep um and you guys can chime in as well uh the the first one that comes to mind is just like there is a lot of fairly graphic sex uh some of which were like like there's one in one of the like uh cruising areas where there's some like consent is a little bit like not navigated like there's some stuff where it's like mm-hmm. yeah you know the exact like situation of consent around the sex is like questionable um there's also like sex with other like non-human species which mm-hmm. yep is is graphic and maybe you know like i find it not at all an issue but i can understand how people would yeah um there's also the like the first section of the novel is very much about like like we talk about this sometimes this idea of like like lack of agency and taking control away and this is very much about a person who is like their brain is surgically altered so that they become like a perfect slave and it's really intense yeah Yeah. it's really really intense and like that's something that i feel like you know good to know going into it the novel does kind of a good job of like telling you what it's going to do before it does it. But like, I still think it's worth kind of knowing that I know. Is, yeah. there, is there other stuff? Cause I, yeah, there's an extended hunting scene, which is sort of like, I don't want to like no spoiler stuff, but like if hunting's a problem, stick with it. Yeah. 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 That's a good way to put that. Yes. 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 Um, I think there was, there's, uh, some stuff in the, the first, in the prologue, that's like uncomfortable gendered language, I would say, sort of like slurs. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yes. Totally. Yes. Yeah. Thank yes. you. Yeah. Yes. Right. Yeah. And that's used. That's actually that's really interesting because that's 
like there. And I found it deeply uncomfortable. And I was like, what is he doing with this? This seems so like, like something I would expect out of like a 1950s, kind of like the worst of Heinlein kind of thing. Yeah. And then like the way that he like, that that is there on purpose and it is yeah. used to like contrast with the like other two thirds of the novel in a really interesting way. Yeah. 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 It, it's, it's, he's, really smart (laughs) (laughs) yeah delaney's a really smart guy (laughs) yeah um yeah (laughs) cool so what 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 do we want to tackle first to like yeah well i was i had a question actually i wanted to pose to you guys um when i was thinking about how i would even like approach talking about this book i kept thinking about what kind of a book the question of what kind of a book it is and like going between different ways of looking at what kind of a book it is so what kind of a book do you think this book is like how would you describe this book and like does it even make sense to sort of try to think about it as like a book about x rather than a book about y you know what i mean mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. yeah i think um i think i think it was adrian earlier said that it was it sort of reads more like a, a like an anthropological science fiction like a Le Guin or something like that and i i think that makes sense to me um just in terms of like a broad descriptor which is interesting because um, one of my big shames is I actually don't like Le Guin's writing very much. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've tried it a few times. I really liked The Lathe of Heaven and nothing else I've read mm. by her, um, mm-hmm. which was like kind of interesting because, yeah, I much preferred the Mark Dieth parts. Or Is it Dieth or Death? I don't know. I think I think that's a thing that, you know, you can like I think he does yeah. that sort of thing on purpose to like mm-hmm. get you to like wonder which it is and and go back and forth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's also like it's also a haunted house book um in terms yeah. of death's home. Oh yeah. Like, yeah. Um Yeah. It it is it is Great many point. many things. <laughs> um and I don't know, like like when you all y'all brought up it being a love story and like that is the most obvious thing in the world and not a way I would have thought about it at all prior to <laughs> like like even though it's literally kind of the entire point I would have just been like oh yeah like it's it's a, it's a science fiction novel it's a haunted house thing it's like a it's an anthropology of like cruising pre-aids like th- those would have all come to mind it's it's a book about desire and like not about identity but like love story what (laughs) (laughs) it's interesting too at the at the very end um there's a uh a monologue mark diet has a monologue um to joe prill about what has happened and what his feelings are and he and joe prill asks um mark diet about if I'm, I'm trying to figure out what pronoun to use. It's like, it's like it's, the pronouns just, in this book are I mean, super complicated. Right. I was just going to say. I think it would be she unless you feel sexual desire Yeah, you towards said you weren't attracted to right. said you were. So, so right. it's she. Now you're right. using he. And That's right. That's right. That's right. Um, but what do you do if you're reading an erotic love story involving that person? <laughs> Good question. Yeah. So uh, she, Mark Dieth, um, is pose the question, you know, do you love her? Do you love um, uh, Rat Korga? Mm-hmm. And then Mark Dieth, you know, discourses on on how Mark Dieth feels about that. Mm-hmm. And it's very, <laughs> it's it's complicated. It's not. I mean, you know, ultimately, Mark Dieth has a very realistic answer, which is, I only knew this person for a day. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So how can it be said that I love them? But 
could I love them? Do I want to love them? You know, and all that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's complicated. You know, another thing that this reminded me of, which I thought was super weird and I didn't think of until I tried to like explain this book uh, to my partner, it's kind of like the sort of love story that could only happen in a world of online dating in yeah. a very weird way. <laughs> because like, how do they meet? The web introduces them for purposes that are its own, you know? Like, yeah. 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 And the web, the web can know to decimal points what your perfect erotic object is yeah. and like does and tries to introduce you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, yeah. Oh my God. It's, and that, it's, in that conversation, there's like a thing where Mark and is it, is it with Jaypril that that conversation happens initially? The, 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 which one? the introduction? Yeah. 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 Yeah, April's so. like, or Mark is like, um, so how many other people are there out there who have <laughs> yeah. similar like right. go down to right, like point right, seven right. or yeah. seven decimal yeah. points? And they're like, oh, a couple million, I don't know, like right. they're all over the place. <laughs> yeah, and but I you're only you. knew you, <laughs> right, right, right. No, 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 no. The best part is Jopro's like there were only two who I knew. Yeah, <laughs> right, <laughs> never right. says the other one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god i love that that it's just so good the book is so it's so uh complicated it's so easy to sort of go off in one direction trying to deconstruct it and then Mm -hmm. you know the topology of the book is such that you know at some point you'll end up facing the point where you started from a different direction not as though you just kept going around a sphere but like you're coming at it from the Right, like a Oost, strip the Oost instead of the east <laughs> yeah, or the right. west. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, no, it's really, I mean, like the question of what kind of book is it? I mean, w- one of the answers, which sounds like it's like a diss, but it's not, is that like the book doesn't really have a plot. And so it's kind of hard to talk about what kind of book it is because it's not a book about any one thing. Right. Again, like right. it has the longest prologue that I have ever read. <laughs> I kept like looking at my kindle like section being like wait am i still in the prologue <laughs> oh yeah, yeah okay well what's is, the book gonna be about <laughs> is this book like two thousand pages long <laughs> yeah, right right um and then too even in the in the sections with with mark dieth dieth uh he is she is <laughs> Jeez, y'all um, just horny for Mark. I don't know. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think Mark's you know, cool. Maybe a little. Uh, but like her sections, her monologues are—they're written very differently, and not just in a, like a what they are about kind of way. But like the prose is different. The chapters are really short, as opposed to like there are no chapter breaks of any sort in the in the prologue like they're and they do have this element of um you know uh delaney will do this really interesting thing where he will like end a chapter in the middle of a sentence and the next chapter will begin like finishing that sentence Mm -hmm. and like like there's all this like really interesting stuff which is you know also probably a technique he somewhat like takes from like dahlgren which is a book that like ends in the middle of a sentence and begins in the middle of a sentence and like you can put those two sentences together and make like one complete sentence so Mm -hmm. it's like one circular novel um and like there seems to be sort of like elements of that where where he's doing some stuff to play around with like time and your relationship to like how to section break things and how to understand where topics begin and end in a way that I think it, it it jives with it being difficult to say what kind of book that this is, 
It's like, for instance, haunted house. I would never in a million years have thought of haunted house. <laughs> but like you say, it's like immediately like, oh yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, it you is. Know, another yeah. thing that we kind of like <laughs> gloss over is that it's also the history of like a, you know, family unit structure thing that like currently is like in a very good place, but like historically was like a part of this like terrible regime of like this like you know woman who owned like multiple worlds and was like a tyrant of amongst all of them and that gets sort of like brushed aside it's just this like ancient history thing Mm -hmm. (laughs) except that it keeps coming back over and over again in new and different ways i know and rat corgo wears her rings (laughs) right yeah also which which, like what does that even mean The reveal oh. of the like uh, the the whatever seven times great grandmother's like mm-hmm. hologram like oh. popping up and then being like so good turn me off and she was like <laughs> <laughs> she was like how do I do that and then or Mark was like how do I do that and the grandmother's like uh, push this button and she's like it was oh so good. there's a mechanical button <laughs> like <laughs> I never would have thought of that <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh man I it, it's it's worth saying yet another fascinating thing about this book is. Uh, Delaney is better than almost anyone ever at creating believable, lived-in, and truly different and strange cultures. Mm-hmm. Like the, there are so many tossed aside details and and invented authors mm-hmm. or playwrights or historical events that mm-hmm. manage somehow to rather than clutter up this the the book make it feel like a real house that somebody lives in you know it's like mm-hmm. so often when people pepper sort of made up you know made up culture stuff into their stories it it feels busy and dry and kind of gets in the way um it, even you know you read like you read like Tolkien and some of that stuff is really dry, but like this does not, I don't know. I mean, I could, I guess it could feel dry to someone probably, but like to me, it, it felt all these little cultural details, like these asides where it's like just a parenthetical about, he mentions some word, it almost like it in the wrong hands, this type of thing could become the like Star Trek thing where it's like Cardassian ale. You just insert made up adjective in front of like real thing and you like have a fantasy thing or you have a science fiction thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, he doesn't it like he doesn't do that. Like it, it's so much richer than that. It, it He there are entire sections of the book that are nothing other than like Borgesian like critical catalogs of invented yeah. literary genres. Yeah. You know. And I'm glad you brought up Borges because this is a thing I wanted to talk about. Yeah, <laughs> we have not talked beforehand, but like, yeah, yeah, and 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 like, and 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 yet, I think in a lot of ways, Delaney's invented literatures are more fascinating than almost any other invented literatures that I've encountered. A lot, of, I think, a lot of people sort of do this now. They maybe didn't back then, but a lot of people have tried this trick, and it's not as easy to do as you might think to make a compelling and complicated and, you know, problematic, but realistic, but interesting fake literature is very mm-hmm. hard, especially he does it with poetry. He does it with plays. He does it with, he does, there's so much going on. Yeah. He does, he creates rituals that have no real place in the narrative, except that they kind of do, but <laughs> it's hard to say exactly how. I mean, one thing I loved is like you would get these little throwaway details. That's like one phrase in a sentence. And like you're left wondering 
this might be deeply important in like 200 pages or it might never come up again. And like, because both could be true because it, it makes it all feel important. It makes it all feel like real yeah. and there. I also yeah. like one of my favorite sections of the novel was just like reading about rat Korga reading a bunch of, Oh books. yeah. I yeah. love like, that. Just, part. Like I could have read an entire like thousand page novel of just that. Honestly. Yeah. Me, me too. So honestly. Good. Yeah. Totally. I loved that part. <laughs> the stuff about Rat Korga being enslaved is very tough, but the stuff about yeah. Rat Korga emancipating himself is thrilling. Like, absolutely <laughs> just, I couldn't put it down. Yeah. Um, <sighs> we've, like, kind of joked about the the pronoun stuff. Should we, like, talk yeah. about it for people who yeah. may, like, be yeah. Yeah. like that have read it? Um, I think, like... The very my very baseline understanding is like most worlds uh, refer to all humans as women and use she her pronouns for everybody with the exception of somebody you're sexually attracted to who are referred to with he him pronouns. Does that track for y'all? I think so. And they also do it to aliens. They also refer to aliens as her she her. Okay. yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's all it's like I think the thing that the novel says is that like she and her or like women refer to anything that's sentient like yeah. if it's a person okay. it's a woman uh yeah. and if it's a object of your sexual desire then it's it's not a man like man is never a thing that's used it's just that it's a woman with he him pronouns instead of she her pronouns yes um and so yeah. which is interesting because it means that pronouns are not a thing that are like a personal identity but rather a like second person identity like your mm-hmm. pronouns are not a thing that you own they're a thing that other people use to like relate to you and describe their relationship to but, you but but you have the power to apply them to anyone whenever you want right yeah <laughs> right which is i i don't know it's a very different way of like thinking about it's so pronouns. different it's just completely different way to think about it right like, and i and i loved it i mean it, ta- it takes a while for the novel to really sort of you know explain itself like at some point it does kind of sit down and be like hey this is what's going on but it takes a long time for it to do that and Mm -hmm. i really you know this is the thing i talk about i feel like a lot on here i don't know if it's actually a lot but like i always appreciate it when science fiction is like yeah gender is like a weird construct and like it doesn't have to look the way it does now in the future so like this is the kind of thing that i just love when science fiction does where it's not a kind of like it's not simply saying like, oh, well, everyone is she or like, you know, like gender doesn't matter. It's like, no, gender just is like a different thing here. Like yeah. there's there's still biological sex. There's still gender identity. There's still this thing. But the way that people relate to gender is different. Yeah. Um, and that I think is really good. Like, I really like that. It, it makes me, you know, it's funny. It makes me feel really comfortable, like reading <laughs> the novel for some reason. Like it feels very like nice to read this novel where it's not simply that everyone uses she pronouns because gender doesn't matter anymore or because like we're past that in some way but rather because like gender is just like viewed differently that's i so i have like two little threads here um saying Mm -hmm. that like pronouns are some like okay so i know for me at least uh, when I sort of came out as trans, I'm I'm non-binary, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think I mentioned that uh, at the top, but uh, I know in the last couple years since that ha- since I like came to that realization and have talked about it with people, I have referred to myself with pronouns 
infinitely more times than I did prior to like coming out. Like mm-hmm. I don't think I ever referred to myself with my like I never owned my own pronouns before I was like wait those are not mine right. <laughs> um, if mm, that makes sense right. Interesting. Um, it is, so I think there is something about it in even in our world where pronouns are you know I guess the pronouns you own are usually I I me we right right <laughs> um, which are shared among everybody in the same way that she is in this novel mm. um but I don't know like I also lost my train of thought for the second thing because I got well, emotional you, about you, my you shit. Just, <laughs> no, that's, that's good. It's, it's absolutely legit. I, you just reminded me that it, it, it doesn't work the same way in every Earth language, every real Earth language, of course. And, mm. and very famously, there are languages where your personal pronoun is something that you uh, – there are a lot of choices for personal pronoun and people sort of like go back and forth between them. And there are like almost no choices for a second person pronoun and people mm. don't go back and forth about those as much. Japanese is a classic example. I mean, there are actually a lot of choices about second person pronoun in Japanese also, but it's very com- like there are uh, there are so many first person pronouns that everyone is aware of that people can like choose which one to use for themselves and it matters in terms of how polite you're being and what other people will think of you and what people think your sort of statement you're making by choosing one rather than another. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. It's interesting for so many reasons. And one of the reasons is that with the kind of cultural awakening that's that's happened in the 20th and 21st century, people have started to take that stuff a lot more seriously than they used to in Japan, I know. And, uh, you know, certain pronouns, personal pronouns that used to be used to mean I, me by men are now used by people who don't identify as men or who identify as non-binary or, or, or all sorts of things. And so mm-hmm. there's this, or perhaps they may, they may choose to, to never use those personal pronouns and to use ones that were sort of used to be coded feminine or that are ancient and no longer used. You know, there's so many choices available. It's, it's just like there, just like it is in English where you can invent a new one. You can use an old one. You can do whatever you want. And people make lots of different choices. It's just so interesting to me. I, there's so, so much fertile ground here for for in, in exploration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah it, oh, go ahead. Oh, I, I was going to say like the the <clears throat> like your point about like not thinking about pronouns for such a long time. Like that actually really jives with me as someone who who identifies as male, but also like like I've always felt very complicated about that. <laughs> like as someone who like for whom like that has always been like somewhat of a like complicated and like you know like a scary kind of thing um i don't know so so they like i feel like i've actually thought about those pronouns a lot and in some ways like at times like don't enjoy that right like don't enjoy that like ownership over them and feel feel like i don't know and so it's something that in this novel having having this like switch of pronouns instead of being like like you know she or he like this third person pronoun this like the gendering of your pronouns is something that's like about you is instead like about the speaker it Mm. like for me that that's part of why that was so like nice i think because all of a sudden it didn't become this thing of like i have to decide and like let other people know right like i have to like you know like or just or just like other people will decide based on the way i present myself and like if they get it wrong or if I get it wrong in a way that they feel like that's scary, that can be dangerous even, mm-hmm. um, you know, like getting, getting my own like gender wrong is dangerous as <laughs> this thing that I kind of like mm. grew up with. 
And so yeah. it's really like this idea of like, no, like the gendered pronouns, like, yeah, they're gendered, but like gender in this case is about like their desire for you. That that's a thing that it's okay to encode in language too. It's like, yeah, it's totally okay to like admit that you like people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's like fun because you immediately start imagining like, oh, like this would lead to so many sort of awkward slips and like unintentional <laughs> uh-huh. like confessions of crushes and stuff like that. <laughs> um, uh. I remembered the other thing I was going to say, which uh, was going to be to talk a, just a tiny bit of shit about Anne Lucky. <laughs> um, uh, I, yeah, I, I think cause I mean, I, it's, you know, sort of unfair, but that is the book that comes to mind right now. Right. In terms of yep. like, or that trilogy is the, the big one that people talk about how good it is on gender. And, um, I I read that trilogy and I didn't love it and I thought the gender stuff was like sort of the opposite of what's going on here where it was just like yeah it felt very much like oh we're all past gender except for those like backwards people who aren't past gender but like mm. we good like liberal empire builders are past gender and that's cool <laughs> and I was like I don't <laughs> I don't know that I love this <laughs> um, and I don't know that you're complicating it in a way that makes me think that it's saying anything other than like the the cops should be good guys um, <laughs> who don't think about gender, um, which I know I'm pretty sure both of y'all liked those books a lot more than I did. So feel free I, to so excoriate I, me. I I, I, <laughs> didn't, oh, no, no. I I didn't read the the. I've only read her fantasy novel and I actually had some like issues with the way that she handled gender in there, like in a sense of like, yeah, oh, we did you're that like on the pod. trying um but i don't know how much i like love the way that you handle these sort of like trans issues in it no i i completely understand i've read all uh all of the the ancillary books and i i did like them but i completely agree with your criticism (laughs) like i would say you know the things that i liked about them are maybe other things but it's also probably true that that there's stuff that i missed you know Mm -hmm. and and that that uh if i reread it again hopefully i would catch more of but yeah i mean i think it's oy. <laughs> that's a very I think that's a good criticism to make of her very <laughs> warranted because um, when we did it when we did Raven Tower on this podcast mm-hmm. um, we we all uh, brought up exactly we and the Jennies uh, Gin Jenny and Whiskey Jenny who were on the pod as guests to discuss that um, we we kind of I think we all more or less agreed that that was kind of an icky part of that book mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah it was sort of like a you know like B for effort, like C for execution <laughs> kind of thing, um, you know, which yeah. which I feel sometimes in these kinds of novels is like, I don't know, here, here's a hot take, but like sometimes like people's like well-meaningness almost like gets in the way of actually like experimenting and like being, you know, for lack of a better word, like weird. I kind of don't love the weird word weird because it like implies things should be normal in some way. Um, but like, one of the things I, I like about this novel that I like about like Delaney's writing is that he is taking like kind of big swings with this oh, stuff, yeah. right? Like he is not like well-meaning per se. Yeah. Like, yeah. I wouldn't describe this novel as well-meaning, right. but it is like lovely. Right. And like, yes. it's a good, it's a good kind of like reminder that those two things, like you can take these big swings and like, you know, 
and I think because he comes authentically from him, right? Like, I mean, he yeah. is a gay black man. He is someone for whom like gender and sexuality have been like complicated, like changing things throughout his life. And he has like lived also through like those being complicated, changing things in society, like external to him. Yeah. And so it like comes from this very authentic place where this sort of like, I don't like want him to be well-meaning. I don't feel this need to be like, oh, but is he like handling this in a sensitive way? Because <laughs> right. like, no, because he's saying something like really personal and really interesting. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, like I love that because it kind of like breaks me out of my own like rote thoughts. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That's he also I think one of my favorite bits in in, in my edition, it's on like page 200, um, but it's like. He will he will not just um, sort of complicate things abstractly. He will dive directly into it. Right. Like there's a bit of a conversation where I think it's between. Let me look at my book. Um, Yeah, it's between between Rat Korga and Mark Dyeth. And uh, they're talking about the use of he him pronouns and how Uh, they're different because on Rat Korga's world. He, him meant a human male specifically, or maybe right. also an alien male. I don't remember if they had aliens in that area. Um, yeah, I don't know if they do. I think yeah. they're a pretty insular world. Like, I would assume yeah. they don't. Um, but I think it's Rat Korga who basically just says, like, oh, yeah, like, on my world, he is what everyone wanted to be because right. they were the top of the social structure. On your world, he is what you want out of people. Like, <laughs> He is always desire. It's just different socially, like stratified kinds mm-hmm. of desire. And it's right. like, yeah, you literally just wrote your thesis statement about your use of pronouns inside of this book, just like buried in a small side conversation. <laughs> that fucking rules. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that conversation was so good. Oh my god, I I do love how he he does do that. He has these like little asides that all of a sudden you realize, like, oh no, this is actually like the point. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like the book has been leading up to this like side conversation that's going to last for a third of a page. Yeah, yep. and this it's there's this trick there's this trick to it also where he like the 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 fact that he has a he he has such a complicated book with so many points, um, mm-hmm. and the fact mm-hmm. makes the fact that he like ma- says them out loud like uh, makes it work, and also kind of relates to the fact that you know somebody else who was so interested in deconstructing stuff would often end up in a situation where like oh man aren't you just like a nihilist now though like (laughs) but he doesn't because he has specific points to make amidst all the deconstruction and amidst all the like complicated gesturing in lots of directions at the same time Mm -hmm. i i don't know how it ties together like i don't get it but it totally does and it totally (laughs) works (laughs) like (laughs) yeah Man, I feel like there's so much going on at the same right. time. Yeah. One thing, one thing that um, that we've kind of gotten to a little is the with with pronouns and stuff. It, it sort of reminds me of the ways in which the book is about difference and mm. the other and the alien and mm-hmm. what those ideas even mean and how those ideas differ you know, across very different cultures. So much of the book, you know, Mark Dyeth's job is literally to be a diplomat who crosses cultural boundaries back and Mm -hmm. forth and back and forth endlessly. And his family is this like mishmash of different cultures. And his relationship with Rat Korga is is cross-cultural. And there's so many different versions of something that is alien to you, you know, depicted in this book. 
What do you guys think about that? Was that something you were thinking about when you were reading it? Yeah, that's another, I mean, there's another, that's a very early one of the sort of, um, like, big themes boiled down, right, is with the introduction of the, well, the XLV, the Zolv uh, <laughs> aliens. So uh, I was going to ask about that. I kept calling them the 14 in my head. Because oh, <laughs> huh. And then I realized, like, I don't know if that's right or not. <laughs> that would make just as much sense, I think. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I love it. Let's do it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the, the introduction of the 14 is ba- they're basically just like, these are aliens. They don't interact with us. Like we don't, we basically know sh- jack shit about them. That is not going to change over the course of this novel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. Cause, cause there's that type of alien and there's also the type of alien where you like get to know them. Mm-hmm. Right. And then there's also the type of alien where you get to know them and then you realize you never knew them at all. Like the fans, mm-hmm. right. you know? Yeah. <laughs> right. Or, or what was the like, there's a the really, or I think it's like in the first or second monologue, there's this like alien woman who's this like blue energy being and like, you know, they're talking and having a relatively normal conversation. And then she says to Mark Dryath, like, oh, I would be very happy if you would like consume part of me. And if you have any <laughs> parts of yourself that I can consume, I have just this moment of like, what the fuck? <laughs> but it's also this like, I mean, I love what it does, which it which it sets up a lot of these themes, which is one, it sets up that like, you know, Mark like takes time to look up like what she could possibly mean by that and like, you know, choose like a <laughs> diplomatic response to it and understand mm-hmm. that like, oh, this is just like her being polite and like, you know, we don't want to eat each other. But also <laughs> what it does is it sets up this moment of like, to your point, Matt, like you can have these alien beings who you like talk to and feel like you understand and then realize like you don't understand at all, partially because you're being diplomatic with each other because you're using all of these like, you know, kind of easy rituals that we use to relate to each other mm-hmm. so that we like don't have to think about every single meaning behind every single interaction that we have with each other. Yeah. Yeah. And that, but that can also like hide a lot. Like that doesn't yeah. just help you relate. It can also like hide relations. And so I don't know. I, I, I love that little piece and I love the way in which, I mean, also that like he, his, her family and not family, her, her stream, I think it's called is yeah. like, yeah. yeah, it's, it's a mix of aliens and humans, none of whom are related to each other in any like blood sort of way. Yeah. yeah. But all and of like whom that, love each other. Right. And they tell each other that constantly. They do. I Every love, time they I see each other, I thought they that was say, so I love sweet. You. I thought that was so sweet. I love how they just constantly tell each other that they love each other. That's awesome. I, I thought of you, Matt, already. I was like, Matt's going to love this. I do. I do. I think it's wonderful. I love that. I love their stream. I think, I mean, you know, yet in, in yet another sense, that's the main character of the book, as you alluded to earlier, Adrian, like that, their stream and its history and its future is mm-hmm. is is so cool and you know i mean he could have written a different book that was just that and the right. fact that it's a book worthy thing nestled among all these other book worthy things is just yeah insane <laughs> i also i this is going to get a little bit but like one of the things i loved was the way that they all treated uh little maxa i know i was just yeah. thinking about that yeah like like she has this like extreme social aversion to being touched but wants to be included in everyone's stuff and so they all do exactly what they would with everyone else, but just like an inch away from her so they don't touch her so she can be included. And it's just like, there's some elements of like, yeah, we're like sometimes concerned that like this might like affect her like outside of here, but like inside, like we just like 100% acceptance of it It was so nice. Yes. 
Yeah, I absolutely love that. That like, oh my god, I I feel that's that's the stuff that made me the most emotional in the book. <laughs> it was just so beautiful. All that stuff. I, I mean, maybe the most heart wrenching scene. I I don't know if you got to this part, Adrian, but like there is a moment when when Mark like lunges to grab oh. little Maxa. And oh no, I haven't gotten to it yet. Yeah, because um, he's so, because he's so distraught. He doesn't mean to, you know what I mean. Like he, yeah, he right. would never accept that he's so overcome. You know, it's and it's ugh. and it's over a photo call, so they're not even like in the same room, and so they can't even actually like little Max is not actually actually in danger of being touched, but even the action of like being right. like I like this person is it trying to touch <sighs> me, even though I have a, a boundary ugh. with them that we understand with among each other is just like heart-wrenching um right. like for everyone oh. involved and like and the reader oh, i think that's it's, that's really no i haven't gotten to that yet i'm glad to know i mean the one thing that did show up was um when george thant like pushes her aside at some point yeah and like I that, that oh my god those the fans no the fans are the fans are 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 real pieces of work they're the worst but like also kind of in the best way like i will admit to there's they're over the top scenes i found incredibly funny mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the 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 way that they turn out is is less funny i think oh, okay that's unfortunate um <laughs> yeah um yeah i, I mean again, it's, it's I so, good it's good yeah it's very right, good it's, it's right. smart and it like really uh, yeah it and you guys can things. talk about it like <laughs> like I, okay. I I don't mind being spoiled on stuff and also like, okay, yeah. you know, so my bad for not reading it. <laughs> they basically they basically have the Thants. It's kind of complicated, but essentially they have a very serious falling out or rupture where the Thants just become total assholes and start being really cruel and mean to everybody because they think that they've been betrayed, um, mm-hmm. but they haven't been. <laughs> okay yeah so that's sort of like hinted at that's what's coming so that makes sense yeah they they, they get an offer to like become like a what is it a first like family a, a first yeah. family on a new for, world right. and they have to change affiliation between uh family and sign yeah and, i mean they essentially yeah. get an like an offer to like become the kardashians uh, yes right like yeah. that was my yeah. my read on yeah. it was like you'll yeah. be a celebrity family and everyone will watch you yes. i think it's maybe a little bit more like the trumps in a way right that's actually yeah <laughs> i mean or like the royal family in yeah. england which is like essentially <laughs> just like a celebrity gossip family that they think <laughs> they come to believe after they decided to do that they come to believe that uh, the the dieths are somehow trying to stop them, and mm-hmm. it's unclear how they even come to believe this. I think that it's Jabana, that character's fault. Mm. I think that if you read between the lines, there's basically Jabana's character is engaged in this complicated plot, and what her plot does is it creates a rupture between the Thants and the dieths. That makes a lot of sense, and I had not thought about that. That's yeah. Um, Which character is Jabana? Have I just not gotten to her yet? She's mentioned briefly in the beginning, but she comes back in a big way at the okay, end. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, she's. That do you remember sense. the really creepy guy that comes onto Mark? No. In the beginning, in the beginning of the monologues part, of the, in the beginning of Mark's part, he like is going to like have a thing with this guy Clem. Oh yes, yeah, 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 yeah. And Clem is insanely creepy, so Mark's like right. I'm out. Um, I mean, is a literal like sociopath assassin. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, it's like I am going to kill you. <laughs> I believe that Giovanna. If that's, I may be getting her name wrong, but I believe that she was the person who was talking to Clem. 
Oh, who, like, okay. And then she just comes back in a big way at the end. Right. That yeah. makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's, that's, see, I mean, this is the kind of thing where I mean, where it's like, you don't know if these little details are like right. important or not. And especially at that stage of the novel, like you are dropped in unceremoniously amongst these people. It's like this profession sub one, sub two yeah. thing that oh. I was joking about earlier. Oh. It's like, you don't know what that means and you just have to pick it up over context. Right. Oh God, and it's so like, true. it slowly becomes more and more clear what's going on. But even then, like, I, I feel like I have like a 85% hold <laughs> on what that yeah. is. So true. So, um, one thing sorry, I could, if, if we don't mind tacking just a little bit, like That's one fine. thing I wanted to talk about a little bit was cultural fugue. Mm hmm. Like, cause mm -hmm. that was fascinating to me. And mm -hmm. like, I, like, I, I don't know. I wanted like, what do you guys think cultural fugue actually is? Uh. <laughs> I, I feel like I have about an 85% understanding. <laughs> of, uh, cultural fugue. I, yeah, I don't, I'm not even sure there is such a thing as a 100% understanding. <laughs> right. Please take it away. So yeah, if it, it first comes up in, does it come up in the prologue or does it come up immediately after? I think oh. immediately after so, something like that. Okay. And it's in the context of, of Mark going to a world on a diplomatic um, mission to basically see if this world is on the verge of a cultural fugue, mm -hmm. which my, yeah. So I think what they're saying is that basically shit gets so fucked up and bullshit that the world ends <laughs> um, right <laughs> you know like and not in any one like i think the the thing that i found interesting was i don't think it's supposed to be in any one particular way like it's not like oh like everyone you know polluted too much and the climate collapsed it's like right there are big pockets of of things happening everywhere across this world and then all of them together creates a situation that becomes unlivable basically right um, does that read the, to y'all <laughs> yeah i mean there the one yeah. thing there was once discussion of like like i got the sense of maybe like different worlds could fugue in different ways like maybe sometimes it is just like an ecological collapse or maybe sometimes it is like well they had a nuclear war but like it's not a nuclear war it's also a cultural fugue right that there's this element of like a cultural fugue is almost the like you know, like, like Armageddon or so it's like this idea of like, it doesn't matter like how the apocalypse happens. It's just that like this world is like gonna find its way towards an apocalypse. Oh, mm. I, what I love about the cultural fugue concept, you know, cause I was thinking like, why not just use the word apocalypse or like world end? And what I think cultural fugue as an idea does, it, it's such a powerful concept that I'm sure that like some sci-fi books concepts, it will sort of just seep into my everyday language because it's just mm -hmm. useful enough. <laughs> yeah. Like like out of context problem from accession. Right. Or, or, yeah, like an, I, it's just such a useful thing to say. But anyway, um, cultural fugue means that you did it. Like it wasn't the planet like imploding yeah. or something. Yeah. Cultural right. fugue means like somehow this culture destroyed itself, you know, right. and there's a lot of ways that could happen. There's a lot of ways, mm -hmm. you know, to to um, cause yourself to end if you if you do that. But some of them may even be intentional. You might even imagine mm -hmm. that they purposefully destroy themselves, you know, mm -hmm. in a sort of su mass suicide. You might imagine some all kinds of things. Did. Yeah. Um, but the point is that it's total and that it's in. And, then, and that you did it, that it sort mm -hmm. of 
you know, isn't an external force in some sense. Right. It's you also brought it up uh, uh, in a, a roundabout way, I guess, maybe. But like, yeah, it's the cultural fugue isn't necessarily the moment of apocalypse, right? It's the it's the lead up to it. It's because mm, yeah. uh, I think Vondramak Ock is like moves to Dias home because of a cultural fugue on her planet right oh or no, no it's the the, the the their her, his seven times great grandmother not Ock, oh but oh he, yes yes yeah yes. Right. yeah so because they the knew a cultural fugue was about to happen right and so then, they left yeah yeah mm-hmm. and then right. maybe it didn't also i don't remember if that actually yeah i don't know i don't yeah no that, that was not described <laughs> yeah no that's why i actually remember that the sense of like i mean that's this one thing about the cultural fugue is it's purely theoretical until it's not and so it's mm-hmm. it's this kind of thing where people get worried about it and move and it's almost the like you know it's like the the matrix oracle thing like what what'll really blow your noggin late thinking about it later <laughs> is like when you've broken the vase fight and said anything like, like it feels uh-huh. like there's that element to it of like everyone's so worried about a cultural <laughs> fugue is that like part you know and so like a bunch of people leave the planet and leave it like resource depleted and like is mm-hmm. that part of the cause yeah um you know, I, I mean, so that 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 like planet that Mark is on in the very first monologue is also the planet that the Thants are moving to to become like yeah. the celebrity family, and and like I got a little bit of the sense of that there, where like Mark, her kind of reaction to it is like, <laughs> like almost a little bit like, you know, guys, this doesn't happen a whole lot, and like. The more you worry about it, the worse it's going to get. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, shit is not great here, but it's it's okay. Like, right. You, you just live on a world where things are bad sometimes. Right. And, like, try to take care of the things that are bad instead of worrying about how to prevent the fugue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's so interesting that you say that because that's true. I also think there's this gesture at various times in the book towards the idea that people who, like, People don't want to think about cultural fugue, and and Mark may be ostriching and putting his head in the sand and, and choosing to not think about it too much a little bit at some mm-hmm. other points at least, maybe oh, not that totally. point. And and it's this really interesting thing where there's like what I wrote in the notes is uh, that there's this sort of way that any safe spaces that exist in this universe are are precarious. Like there's there's no sort of like. I don't I don't feel like I feel like there is there are things that are real and meaningful and, and lovely that you can hold on to but there's no such thing as a culture in this in this book universe that is um indefatigable there's no such thing as like the culture capital C that like cannot lose mm-hmm. you know and like is totally. just like the end state of evolution all of the things like a cultural fugue could conceivably happen to any planet although it doesn't happen often Nobody is like definitionally safe from it. Mm, and and right. and beyond cultural fugue, there's other stuff that that's bad that could happen to you. Like, you know, families die, streams end, you know? There's a sense that that like although there are these beautiful places and and and, and the dieths are this like kind of great family in a lot of ways, I don't think this is a utopian novel by any stretch. I I don't think anybody would would think that it was, you know? I mean, it's it's just kind of interesting to think about the way that it sort of straddles the line between different kinds of positive and different kinds of negative, you know, when it when it looks at this sort of far future. You know, the apocalypses happen in this book and so do utopias, but like neither of them are really that. Right. right. <laughs> well, and neither of them are permanent, I think, is some of it. Right. Even even Rat Korga's world, which I I 
can't pronounce. Um, but <laughs> it like there's the there's the scene with Japril where Japril's like, yeah, you know, give it a couple generations and we'll like terraform it again and live there again. You know, it's just going to take another yeah. you know four hundred years before we do. Yeah, we and just gotta like, like wait for all the ash to blow out of the air. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. And it's like you know, it's like yeah, fugues happen. And we come back from them. And also, like, you know, these perfect family streams exist. And, you know, I think, um, like, Mark at some point mentions this thing of, like, my stream's been around for seven ripples. And, like, I'd be happy if it existed for another 17 or another 27 after that. Right? And it's just, like, and it's that thought of, like, oh, like, set, like, a family unit, the stream unit existing for seven ripples is actually a really long time. Mm-hmm. And the idea of it existing for like 27 actually feels like huge. Like it's a, you know, it's like in some ways like wistful of like it probably yeah. won't. Right. Mm-hmm. And right. like, or at least that's how I read it. And yeah, I think no, there's something too. really Same. interesting about that of like, especially when a family unit to exist, like has to, like there's to be a conscious thought to it. Like, like mm. s- multiple children of that unit have to decide like we are going to like raise our own children and like continue this lineage in our own ripple. And like, that's a really interesting thought that like you have to consciously do that to keep your family alive. You know, you yeah. don't just get to like have a kid and like they have your name, you know, which I guess is yeah. sort of, like a male privileged way of looking at family, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and of course it's a completely found or constructed family. I mean, it's I, as mm. somebody pointed out already, it's, it's none of them are related by genetic material to any other of them, but they're all in a, in a stream nonetheless. I mean, they're, and, and, and the way that they kind of reconstruct it generation by generation is it sort of takes further the idea of the found family than a lot of other fiction that mm-hmm. does it, that has one character do it once, but <laughs> doesn't postulate it happening over and over again with the same intentionality each time with the right. kind of continuity there's, I feel like yeah. that's what I want my real life to be. Like I want <laughs> to like found a stream that like does that. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, there was like a really interesting bit. Um, and I think it was maybe one of the only times they really talk about the differences between like the family and sign stuff. Um, yeah. Which I think it was something like, you know, in under family with a capital F uh, it's sort of our patriarchal understanding of family more or less like, there is a head of the family yeah. the children are obedient and like uh etc and then in the stream at least i don't know if this is sign wide or what but um they were talking about how like children are understood as uh, um like a way to like a bridge between parents basically like are, are, are the parent right. in society and not right. as yeah. like um, yeah. not as somebody to be disciplined but as somebody to be like oh, now we have to interact with society again. We can't just be on our own because we have to, like, make sure this kid learns things and, like, mm-hmm. gets socialized and everything. And so now we have to do that as well. And I just found that really neat. <laughs> I don't know that I have a giant <laughs> yeah. point, but, like, yeah, it was it was a really smart way of being like, yeah, there are, there are certain presuppositions about how families work. And here is just a thrown-off sentence about how families could work otherwise. <laughs> that like mm-hmm. seems very real and like functional. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I mean, really it like feels that. like I think of some of my friends who have had kids and like, it does feel in some ways that 
like I, 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 and you know, this is again coming from like a relatively like privileged, wealthy New York white background kind of thing. But like, I feel like I have friends who've like gone either of those directions with their kids. Like either their kids are actually a chance to like have friends over more and like have like an extended set of like found uncles and aunts essentially yeah like or it's like oh well these kids are like mine to take care of and i don't need to like burden other people with it and also like they i need to raise them in the way that like i need to raise them like i want them to be raised yeah and so that was actually really interesting to me reading that it felt as much a you know you know there's some ways in which like family is very clearly like big f family is very clearly the kind of like patriarchal like christian kind of like analog in Mm -hmm. in this world But also just that it, like in this particular instance, like family versus stream feels like a sense of, like you can do either of those. Like you can take that attitude in real life, even with your own biological children. Yeah. Right. Like you can view school as like a thing that like teaches you as much as it teaches your children, or you can view school as a thing that like you need to control as much as possible. So it teaches your children correctly. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I don't know. That's that's all. <laughs> <laughs> There's a yeah. I mean, it kind of so the difference between the family and sign is really interesting because um, it's like yet another layer of the book we haven't really talked about. Um, <laughs> and and it kind of there's a you know there's that part of the book or that like layer of the onion of the book is is in one sense it's sort of about like politics in a way that the rest of the book is very personal. But mm-hmm. even the stuff about cultural fugue specifically uses the word culture. Mm-hmm. It, it, it sort of right. is implied that it's not like as narrow as some sort of political question about policy or something. But family and sign is this like political debate. Yeah. And it's kind of I mean, this is kind of what I was thinking when I was talking before about how there's nothing that's like perfectly safe in this world. Like on the on Velm, the planet where Dice Home is and um, Mark Dieth is from. Um, there's like the North where instead of getting along and being in families together or being in streams together, Avelm and humans like murder each other mm-hmm. and attempt to commit genocide mm-hmm. constantly. And yeah, there's like a, um, a, a race war just constantly happening. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and I think the way that he juxtaposes things at every level of the novel is, is really one of the things I, I, I kind of meant when I was thinking about how it's not safe ever. It's, like there's no uh sort of dimension of this that doesn't have its dangers and its conflicts that mm-hmm. might actually affect you and your in your little pocket of 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 safety that you've made for yourself mm-hmm. you know you could imagine like obviously you know they are safe in the south it does seem indeed that they are but that safety you know you you get a sense here and there like you know when they meet the old hunter and mark dieth makes an old comment about the old hunter Instead of being a figure of fear, it's exactly because of people like the old hunter that humans and Evelm can get along at all. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> when Mark makes that comment, you you realize like, oh, there's this whole submerged history of people making choices that made this possible, and it could have gone a different way. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it has gone a different way elsewhere. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Yeah. It goes both ways in different places. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I actually like that. That brings to mind some like other books we've read on the podcast, particularly like Children of Time and Semiosis, which are both about sort of right like these like groups of humans like eventually 
choosing and like overall like being able to like live in harmony with some very like alien presence Mm -hmm. uh, whether like a plant or spiders or you know unnamed (laughs) animals in the sequels that i read recently um (laughs) and and it's sort of interesting because those books like both treat that the like central conflict of the book is like can we or can we not live in harmony and the eventual resolution is like yes we can right like it's the joke we made a whole bunch was like it's the future's liberal want like that we can all (laughs) live in harmony together Yeah. yeah and like this is a book that is like well yeah you can but like not everyone will yeah. yeah. Right. Like it's not the central conflict so much. It's just the background. Like, yeah, it, you right. know, it'll be good in some places and really shitty others. And like, there's not a like forward progress through history. Like it will backslide in some places at some times, like yeah. other places that were bad will like get better. Right. Like mm-hmm. any of that can happen. And even in the nice areas of the South of, of Velm, like there are these like sort of shitty moments that happen that have to do with Mark's culture that he's a part of that he loves um like the the moment when Rat Korga just is like assaulted by that guy that butcher guy that butcher sub one who just like steals his genetic material because he like wants to like sell it as food like Mm -hmm. it's it's like that's a very specific kind of assault that could only happen in Mark's culture that's that's very specific to to his like thing that he loves and it's a it's a really cool moment because it i mean cool is the wrong word it's it's like amazing writing right because because it it highlights like the 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 complicated nature of of culture generally the way that it can Mm -hmm. just turn on you the way that it's never perfect right right and then and there's like that brings up a whole other thing right that like the main food source in in <laughs> in diet's home is like is short pig i think they call it right yeah it's, as opposed and to long, long pig. pig yeah yeah like it's it's people <laughs> like they're eating people right. or like but they're just like clones yeah yeah it's like you take people <laughs> but you just clone them and grow their meat in a in a, in a lab and then that's what you eat yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no ethical quandary there, apparently. Just right. <laughs> totally. Well, chill. no one's getting hurt. Yeah. <laughs> well, well and the really like wild thing is that like there's the there's the diplomatic party like in that section that Mark is at where he eats an animal that has a bone in it and it's not mm. a human, it's just an animal. Oh, yeah. But that is the thing like freaks him out and yeah. he has uh-huh. to like run out of the room, right? <laughs> yeah. Which which does actually, I mean like brings up some questions around that around like yeah like uh, is eating animals actually like we take that for granted for the most part in the western world and is that something we should take for granted yeah (laughs) right like what is that like is it potentially better to eat human meat grown in a vat than to like slaughter animals for for their flesh like there's no killing involved in that in that first one Mm -hmm. so i don't know i i actually really like that again for some of the same reason of like the way that gender is used and just in the sense of like it's uncomfortable and i have this like gut reaction Mm -hmm. to it at first but my gut reaction is so different from the character's gut reactions like I think that's really useful having those like oh, yeah. having the characters like have a gut reaction that is like fully based in the like morals and ethical systems of their world. Yeah, it's like something that a lot of far future fiction doesn't do. Right, I feel like a lot of far future science fiction like 
there's maybe the sort of like cool world building that happens, but like rarely do the like character motivations and like character choices just so fully line up with like, well, I exist within this complicated ethical system. And like, I have my own place within that ethical system because like any ethical system has like people on some sides of the questions and people on other sides of these questions. And like, I'm going to have gut reactions that are just like 100% different from the reader's gut reaction because I live in a different ethical system system from them mm-hmm. yeah that's something i love about this book so many people read books that are either a utopia or a dystopia that are i that depict a, a culture that you either like or really don't like and mm-hmm. this is just not like that it doesn't he, delaney is making something that is complicated <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and he you know and it's he's just succeeds completely mm-hmm. i think yeah yeah, and it's not that it's like, oh, it's a utopia on the surface, but secretly it's a dystopia. You know, no. it's like, no. <laughs> it's just like some things are good and some things are bad. Yeah, and like some things that you and I would not want to live within if you grew up with that in your whole life is a thing that is good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man, I'll just on the topic of food, very quickly. Um, I feel like mm-hmm. every like hundred pages, he just like, just like drops a Delaney specifically, just drops a like like a line or two about like how something tastes and they're all just incredibly written. <laughs> oh. just like, like his writing about taste is just like so smart yeah. and so evocative. And it's always just like, you know, here's like four ingredients and like a, a slight description of an aroma. And it's like, yeah. yes, yes, that is right. <laughs> that is so yeah. good. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's worth saying he's an incredible writer. Mm-hmm. He can write so many different kinds of things in such an interesting way. I, I'm really it's amazing to to watch him work um, like, for example, the, the scene, some scenes that I thought were amazing, the scene where they well, OK, I don't want, I don't know if it's a spoiler or whatever, but the hunting, the end of the hunting scene is mm. just so beautiful or the yeah. the, the, the song singing that, together. Yeah, the singing and yeah. even pre singing what what they're singing about, of course, that part like mm-hmm. It's so evocative. Oh, and Old Hunter, like, names Rat Korga and, like, gives him a new name. Yeah. Which is so nice because up until that point, like, characters have been calling him Rat as if it's his name and not yeah. this, like, title that is, like, this really, right. like, dehumanizing title. Yeah. No one and, asks like, him if he wants to be called that ever. No, he yeah. just, beca- he just gets called, like, they call it Rat him Rat, like, it's his first name. And so to have, like, Old Hunter bequeath this just, like beautiful poetic name upon him Ugh. i don't know it's just so i love it was amazing so one of my favorite scenes in the whole book was at the end where he's where mark dieth is reminiscing and he remembers the time where he was a tourist and went to visit that giant star yeah and he has this moment where he's talking to, he, everybody else leaves the viewing platform except him and this one weird alien that can only communicate through this machine and it's like a weird, I don't even remember how it's described, but it's extremely different from a human, much more different from a human than the Evelm or, or other things. Yeah. And it explains that it, um, it, it they have just the interaction between Mark and this alien is an, an, a total masterclass in like writing. I, I don't know. I, there's no like amount of superlatives. Like I, I don't even know how to describe how great it is. It's great in like every possible way and lots of ways I haven't thought of probably too. Mm-hmm. It's it's great because it's like an amazing conversation between two different people who are just meeting. And like so often in like a, a writing class or or a, or a writing group or or something, you know, you'll you'll have to do as an exercise the thing where you. Um, 
you know, like write a, a conversation between two people that are, who are just meeting or something like that. It's like such a tropey sort of interaction for people to have. Mm-hmm. But this is just totally fresh and new and like unexpected and 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 rich and and you forget you're even reading and yet like despite all of those things it's not even two humans it's like a far future weird post-human and a crazy alien like having a conversation mm-hmm. <laughs> on a spaceship in front of a giant star through and, like a, a translator that the alien built themselves like yeah and and, and the alien <laughs> and 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 it has all the awkwardness that you would expect and all the wonder you expect too the awkwardness the alien like the alien like approaches mark with this like with this like one of those sorts of lines that you use on strangers (laughs) and the alien like once studied on a planet called earth at a university and so it's like oh this is a human i will like tell it that i once studied on earth and mark's like oh i've never been to any earths i actually am not even in the family at all i i'm kind of not not into that shit and the alien's <laughs> like oh haha how silly of me <laughs> <laughs> and it's just and and yet at the same time like they're both being diplomatic to each other because they're both like well-versed in dealing with very foreign things mm-hmm. and they're both in front of this star and they have this moment where they both kind of stop their small talk and just like appreciate the beauty of the thing that they're seeing right it's like the aliens like oh like you you have like two eyes so you can see the curvature of the star right and mark's like yeah yes indeed the the parallax (laughs) between my two eyes does make the curvature uh, apparent to me what are you what do your senses tell you about the star and the alien like tries to describe in human speech what it's uh, like seven non-human senses tell it about the star It's and like and as then, roughly analog to like a, a the smell of a summer morning or something like that. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Like, it's like and it's it smells similarly to how the the star by the planet I'm from would smell on a certain kind of morning, you know. Yeah. And then and then like it's just this little moment. It doesn't mean anything, you know, in terms of what plot there is in this book. It doesn't it doesn't even mean anything huge in Mark's life. It's not like there's another moment he reminisces about this, like the first time he ever saw an alien. This isn't even yeah. that. It's just some moment in his life that he remembers. Yeah. And he's remembering it just because he remembers it. And it's beautiful. And the, the final part of it is like Mark says, you know, he has some amazing line. Maybe you can like he has this amazing line about how about how it felt to have this brief connection with this incredible, impossibly strange creature and the two of them shared something, or maybe they didn't because they were just being diplomatic with each other, or maybe they did despite it all. And that like that moment at the end is just this incredible, incredible piece of writing. The whole scene is incredible from start to finish. It's beautiful. It's evocative. It's strange. It, it, I don't even know. Like I, there's, there's, I could go on and on about that scene, but I feel like this is long enough. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I haven't. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just um, I was just looking up where that was. And that's so it, I think, as I recall, it's that happens. Then there's a big discourse on morning. And then there is like more like M-O-R-N-I-N-G, um, not not uh, <laughs> M-O-U. Uh, and then there is just the long monologue from Mark to Japril that is just like, fuck yeah. you for taking Rat away. Yeah, and then the exactly. Just over. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, holy so shit. Good. <laughs> so good. Oh, man. Ugh. Oh, I so cannot good. wait to read the sentence. Yeah. <laughs> I do like that. Those descript like the uh, the one thing I want to say is like that description gets to like the 
really the like brilliance of Mark as like kind of our main viewpoint character in the, in the, you know, essentially like the last four fifths of the book, I guess is, is where she comes in. But I like, there's something about that, that like his ability to be both like diplomatic and really thoughtful about it gives this just like insight into everything you're saying. And it's not that, He's always right. It's not that like his opinion is supposed to be your opinion or is Delaney's opinion or whatever, but it's that like he comes at everything with this kind of like point of view that is like curious and like open to other people's experiences that I think is a really like good way of coming at things and also really nice from a like viewpoint character of a novel that is about all these really like kind of like wild experiences and places and people and things. Yeah. Um, I kind of wanted to jump back to what I was bringing up at the beginning about mm-hmm. like identity stuff, because mm-hmm. Please. like yeah. it's really interesting. Right. Like because I feel like a lot of authors would take a a diplomat, like somebody whose job it is to meld into other cultures and understand other cultures and use them as a as a like uh, vector for being like. Ah, this person isn't quite isn't self same all the time. They are they are variegated within inside themselves, right? Um, mm. They have to they have to change who they are to fit in other places because that's literally their job and that's how uh, things work. And then at the same time, like you know, maybe it's just the like the psychoanalysis that's been burning in the back of my brain for the last decade or whatever. Um, I haven't read any of it in that time, but you know, I did read a lot of Lacan at one point. um and so a story about desire should be a story about somebody who is barred from themselves who is trying to fill up part of themselves with with you know the object petite a with with the little other with Mm -hmm. like um all these things that like (laughs) i guess what i'm saying is it feels like mark is the perfect person to be somebody who is fractured within themselves and like unsure of who they are because of all of these things about them. And at no point in the book did it ever feel like Delaney was like, and now Mark doesn't know who she is. It was, mm-hmm. He was always just like, Mark knows who she is and like what she wants. And like is, you know, is a person is not like some hyper competent uh, diplomat or like, you know, the most desired person in the world or whatever, but she's just like who she is. And Mm -hmm. I don't know. I, this is, it's fascinating to me. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That is, I mean, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Matt. Oh, I was just going to say that is one of the senses in which something I've, that has occurred to me over the course of this conversation is that Mark is a really, Mark is in some sense, a really attractive character. And I think that's why. I think what you just said mm-hmm. is is why. Um, if there were anybody like, I mean, the the character I find most attractive in this book is Korga when he's emancipating himself, and mm-hmm. in that scene, and Mark generally. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, <laughs> I think you know Mark is the kind of person who. I don't know. It's complicated, but basically if I had to sum it up, I'd probably just repeat what you just said. So I think that, I think you've got it. (laughs) It's that he has, he has a firm sense of himself. Right. 
I would say that like the thing that strikes me is that like Mark's family, and we, we talked about this a little bit, like the stream is really good, right? Yeah. Like the stream raises children well. Yeah. And, and I think that that is part of it for me is that like, like to all of your points, kind of like Mark, I feel like in, in any other novel would be like full of neuroses would be full of like being unsure of like herself and instead you get a place where like she's been taught by her ripple by her not her ripple by her family by her stream that like you know it's almost like taught and shown from early on that those like identity like differences don't actually like matter and like are okay and so it almost becomes like easier for her to like just like be an integrated whole of a person even though she is all of these different things at the same time uh, yeah. partially because of that like context that she was like brought up and I, I i don't know like this is my kind of like very surface level take on this right now but that but that was part because I, I i i absolutely like hear what you're saying there and it did to me feel very much about yeah, like something about that, the like culture that she is raised in like this, and maybe it's a broader sign thing. Maybe it's a specific, like, you know, the dieth stream thing, but it's one where like, it's okay to have multiple aspects of your personality and of your identity. I mean, even to the point again, to the like pronouns thing, like you don't have a set of pronouns, like different people refer to you as like how they see you. Yeah. And like that, I think is like, maybe there's just something kind of healthy about that, that actually can kind of, you know, like it's not defining yourself based on how other people see you, but rather like being confident that like the way other people see you doesn't change who you are innately inside. Yeah. I don't know. I've been so I'm, I've been thinking about this a little bit. Um, do either of you remember the name of the the character who like abducts Korga at, in the prologue and like gives him GI? Oh no, oh, I don't. Uh, I was trying no. to remember that earlier. I th- Are we given her name? I don't uh, know her in this case in the like gendered not yeah. the <laughs> yeah <laughs> desired. <laughs> um, yeah. I. Yeah, I just, I was trying to think of, like, what character I would think of as being somebody, like, which character did have sort of identity crisis, and she was the only one that really, like, came to mind. Oh, yeah. Yeah, totally. Very much so. Very much so. Well, and I wonder, like, I I get the sense that, like, Corgo would have identity crises if he were, like, permitted to do so. Yeah. If that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. If they weren't literally stolen from his brain. (laughs) Right. Exactly. In a way the fans do too. That's yeah, that's true. Interesting. That is true. There is like a lot of like, I feel like they have a lot of this, like, you know, like almost like class anxiety thing going mm-hmm. on that is oh, the yeah. kind of basis. The, which of is their... another thing we haven't discussed yet. Class in this book is very interesting. Because yeah. Korga Korga is like in some sense the lowest of the low classes in the galaxy. And mm-hmm. um Mark Dieth is like super upper class. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's there's a there's a, a cross class aspect to their their relationship that that is kind of and also because of course Mark Dieth you know, knows a lot of things and has access to GI and so could conceivably know whatever there is to be known. Mm-hmm. And Korga can't have access to GI and knows only what he's been told by the web and and uh, what he's been able to learn from the rings, which mm-hmm. isn't nothing. I mean, he knows a lot of things and he's certainly, you know, mm-hmm. we're meant to think he's certainly very capable. But like there's this there's this difference in that dimension also that is very interesting. I mean, I think it's a, it's it's something that comes up in a lot of Delaney's work. The way that 
he, I think, personally sees very little, um, see, like more than most people. I, I I hesitate to say this, but he like sees class sort of differently than most people. He's had hmm. so many long term relationships with like homeless people in his life mm. that I think that comes through in in his in his in his fiction. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Korga is in the in the most complete sense a homeless person. Um, mm-hmm. He has no planet. He has no culture. Right. It's all gone. Um, There's no he, world that he's right. saying over and, and over even again. when he did, he didn't have a home there. He was a, mm-hmm. a slave, um, and 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 so you know, Mark Dyeth has everything. Has everything a person in this universe could conceivably have. Basically, I mean, he doesn't know everything, but he he doesn't have all power. But he has all the sort of gifts that might be bestowed on a child. You know, he comes from an amazing family who are wealthy beyond imagining. He has a profession, sub one, that enables him to travel, which is something that most people can't ever do, and he does it a lot. Mm-hmm. And and there, the, the, the way that that boundary is crossed in this book, like, what do you guys think about it? Do you think it says something about class in general? What do you think? Yeah, I, so I'm gonna actually, like, the thing that really struck me about class was actually in the prologue. Hmm. And... Mm-hmm. In particular, they're like Delaney writes really well about how intelligence and stupidity are these socially constructed ideas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And how that they're like deeply tied up with class that like stupidity in one class is intelligence in another class. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the way that you like display, like the way that you display your ignorance like the ways that you like communicate that you are ignorant about a subject determines whether like other people in this like socially determined, like class societally determined kind of way, not like objectively determined, like determines like the, like your both your class position and whether you're viewed as like intelligent or stupid for being ignorant about this thing. Mm-hmm. And I thought, and there's also just this element of like over and over again, rat Korga is told like your stupid so you can't learn this stuff but like they're very competent learners right you just have to actually bother to explain like they're actually like very intelligent yeah intelligent whatever the fuck that means again but like (laughs) they're capable of learning things very well you just have to actually like bother to teach them Mm -hmm. and you know I actually like B when we were talking about like getting on, you you mentioned that like, you know, race is going to be one thing that like going to be a blind spot for all of us in this book. And like that to me felt like very much a description of the way that like black students are treated in America compared to like white students in particular. Like that seemed to be very racially tinged. Um, Again, as someone who's like worked in education, like that's a thing that like I, I see and like know about a lot and it like definitely happens. And so there's, you know, it's students, know. but I, it's it's also workers. Just like yeah. Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. You know, we, well, you know, I mean, students are just like you know, labor <laughs> being taught how to labor. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, we've probably all read Malcolm's book. So. <laughs> 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 um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I think there is this element of like. I don't know the, the, there's something really interesting about the way that like they have this cross like now getting back to your question Matt like Matt and or Mark and Korga have this cross class relationship but like also yeah I don't know it's this thing that is also like it feels at times like kind of uncomfortable to me like their relationship right because one thing that is still like 
like Korga still has had this radical anxiety termination procedure happen on him. Like there are times where like Mark just orders him around. Right. And like treats him in a very kind of like upper class way, treating like a lower class person, even while they're each other's like desire objects. And like, I don't know, there was like, I don't have a strong thought about what that means per se, so much as like that aspect of the relationship is one that is like, like on one hand, like imperfect, but then on the other hand, like the thing that both of them want. Like Korga yeah. to some degree like wants to be ordered around by someone like pretty and upper class. Mm-hmm. Right? Like not to some degree to like the fucking ninth decimal place yeah. wants that. <laughs> right. And so like 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 does that make it okay that they both like want it and consent to it, I guess, to a degree. Yeah. And that's the benefit of getting the Mark's and interiority, right? Is like when that happens, Mark is often thinking like or like Mark will start saying like, hey, do you want to? And then realize like, oh, Korga doesn't want to be asked this. Korga would rather be told this. And mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. we are to believe that that is true because they have these nine decimal points. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's still wiggle room there. Like it's it's interesting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it can still make us uncomfortable, even if yeah. these characters supposedly consent to that. The idea that these characters consent to that is a creation of the mind in the mind of the author so i, I mean <laughs> yeah <laughs> right um yeah I, th- I i the class stuff is is very interesting to me because because fundamentally so much of the book is from the perspective of this incredibly well-off person mm-hmm. and the book is not only about well-off people though and so there's this there's this gaze thing going on this this mm-hmm. the gaze of the privileged on the unprivileged and and I, it made me wonder sometimes. I don't know that I have like a well thought out response to that, but I definitely feel like I noticed it when I was reading it, and I and I sort of wondered about it without mm-hmm. having any response. <laughs> I think um, for me, the biggest like class component, or the the most interesting one, or maybe just the one I read most recently because it's at the end of the book, uh, is the the stuff with the fans actually mm. um, when they. Mm. Like, I'm, I was never quite sure what their position was, but I got the a sense that, like, on their original world, they were almost sort of, like, feudal lords or something like that. Like They're, like, insanely rich. Yeah, yeah. like, but, like, not in a capitalist way, it, it, it didn't seem. Like, they, it didn't seem like they owned factories. It seemed like they just, like, yeah. had stuff. And right. They had they some special status, yeah. Yeah. And then, and then the move to become the first family on Nepi was, like, sort of them entering like going from feudal lords to like petty bourgeois and like that the so the thing that changed about them was like they entered the capitalist system and so they hung out at their old friend's house and just used a bunch of racial slurs (laughs) um like about lizard lovers and shit like that and like it was a really interesting like oh yeah like right certain like like conditions of class make it more useful for you to be incredibly racist <laughs> like that yeah is a, yeah yeah there's a yeah. sort of material analysis there happening even though yeah, i think you're right it's just yeah it, i i yeah. think that's a good that's a that's a good analysis it definitely did seem like they were kind of by virtue of their decision to do this thing that could be read as like accepting a bunch of money or accepting <laughs> like a, the position of being you know like a boss or something like that yeah um 
in exchange, they were pressured into like being assholes in a particularly mm-hmm. racially coded way. Yeah. And and in a very conservative, politically coded way, because it's like it's also like the idea is not just that they're having sex with the wrong kind of thing, but the wrong kind of human, too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There was. Yeah. There's just explicit homophobia at that point, too, yeah. which is like, yeah, it is very surprising. <laughs> I was. Yeah. Book. I mean, I think the thing that was so shocking about it was like we were supposed to believe that these people are their friends mm-hmm. and they suddenly turn on them. And the. And the the way that the way that they turn on them, I think, is really scary because of who they are and because of how quickly it happens and the sense, therefore, that it could happen in some other context, too. Yeah. I mean, Uh, again, to be sort of like no spoilers about this, but like the stuff (laughs) that it brought up for me, I I haven't read this part, but the part previously with with. um, George busting in and even just like when we first meet the Thants and they're like hanging out in this kind of like nebulous party type thing mm-hmm. um, was uh, was two movies I've seen recently, both Parasite and Knives Out, which are like mm-hmm. both these movies that are very much about like class and class relations. And in particular, like Knives Out, again, like no spoilers to I don't think it's spoilers to say this, but like has this relationship between the main character who is a like um undocumented like worker like you know essentially like the help for them and they they like the police at one point call her the help and the family is like no how dare you say that about her like she is part of the family when like clearly she's not right and like a lot of the movie is about the ways and like no she's not you say that to make yourselves feel good and like when we very first meet the thants like i just got that like oozing from them the kind of like you know the sort of like like rich liberal type of like, Oh yeah. Like we are like nice and know how to say all the right things and make you feel comfortable until it's like not in our best interest. Like Mm -hmm. we don't care about doing that anymore. Yeah. Um, and so like in some ways that, that I haven't, I haven't read the part of the change, but like you guys describing that change, like that actually tracks with how I've been feeling about them this whole time. Oh yeah. They definitely struck me immediately as like assholes who are in kind of only nice, to the dais because the dais are important and rich mm-hmm. like they are mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah and the, mm-hmm. and the, uh, but but still like still it, it hurts and the betrayal is so total and so right. cruel and yeah. so unnecessary <laughs> like right yeah it's yeah i think because that, that's yeah that's where it is for me is like like not only that unnecessary and that like they are they are turning because they feel betrayed even though the betrayal never happened. Yeah. It's like literally unnecessary. Like they don't need to go to this party. They are like, you know, they are already rich people. They're becoming, they're going to become the most rich people on a world that everyone is going to have to like, listen to what the, everything they have to say. There is no reason for them to burn a bridge that like they, they could just walk away from <laughs> like, right. Mm. Right. And instead they show up at the party, like refuse everyone's food and, spew a bunch of homophobic and racist shit <laughs> it's like right and the party is literally that's in their so honor fucking real too it is <laughs> like it all is of real. that is just so fucking real. i know yeah. and that's why it's an amazing book even though that part sucks i mean yeah <laughs> Ugh, so uh, good 
well, I, I think we've come to the conclusion, which is eat the rich. Hell yeah. <laughs> eat, eat the rich when it's long pig, as long as it's rich long pig. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. And the rich, when the rich refuse to eat the you that you offer them, like, man, that's when you know shit's really real. <laughs> <sighs> So I do think with that, uh, I'm going to have to actually go here. Uh, do we have any sort of like final thoughts about, I mean, like, obviously we could talk about this novel for like the next, like, yeah, four days. we've, this is really proven <laughs> yeah. to be a, quite a, an amazing discussion novel. Um, yeah. B, do you in particular have any final thoughts? Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm like shocked. I'm also shocked. I feel like, I feel like, uh, halfway through this, I was like, we have talked about one aspect of this I book. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, there's so much that we left on the table. <laughs> like, um, but yeah, I think we, I think we hit on a lot of things, and that was really surprising. Um, right. it's, it's so easy to just be like, like I could see myself talking to anyone for like three, four hours just about the pronoun stuff in this book. Yeah, um, totally. Which is like totally. a lot of why I loved it. Like there. Because it not it talks back to you about that stuff, like I was saying earlier. Yeah. With the the you know he is an object of desire, regardless of how um, it's used in these two cultures. Like the book talks back to you, and I think that was sort of like, or it, it it is willing to share its own thoughts with you alongside building this incredibly complex world with like you know a history of playwrights and poets and. Um, mm-hmm. societies that you know are combined and uneven in so many different ways and yeah I'm just I'm kind of in love with this book I think I'm, I'm more in love with it now than I was two hours ago also so <laughs> thank you for that thank well, you pleasure. <laughs> it was a total pleasure to have you on V I hope maybe you'll come on again I would love to <laughs> yeah no I would love I would love for you to choose a book and, and you know bring a book for us to read at some point here this next year wonderful well again thank you so much b uh folks can find you at patreon which is patreon.com slash ben laden right yep also and same will... on twitter okay cool I'll, and I'll, i will link all that stuff in the show notes as well um b's really like fun presence in all the places that you can find them so it's <laughs> Good, good to do. Uh, and then, yeah, we are at Spectology Pod on Twitter. We are SpectologyPod at gmail.com. And of course, Spectology.com for our like, website, which is mostly just like the podcast. Um, we will be reading another book next month. And I don't know if we've chosen it yet. So <laughs> we'll figure that out when it comes. And uh, yeah, this was this was really lovely. Thanks to everyone who's like listened to these three kind of like different episodes. And you know, again, one final time, thanks B for being on. Like I, I'm just like Thank so you. happy that we we made this happen. So <laughs> me too. Same. Thanks Same. for coming on. Excellent. Well, with that, uh, we'll see everyone next time. Peace out, guys, Bye, folks. Bye.